0: hello and assalamu alaikum welcome to another episode of my story brought to you by accidentalmuslims.com today we visit Maryam Sali who is a clinical psychologist let's check if she's okay.
1: Allah speaks about when you when you, when you don't know, you have to go to somebody who knows. And this is in this case, when you have depression or any other psychological illness, you can't go just to a sheikh or an imam because they're not going to know how to you know how to 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 to, to assist you with that. They can be of support in other different
0: they're ways. Exactly,
1: and often you know when with psychological illnesses, there is much deeper things going on with the individual. So it's not always what you see on the surface. It's not just about those symptoms. It's about what's actually going on. Inside, what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your thoughts?
0: So you know say depression a smile.
1: Often it does, often it does. Assalamu Alaikum, I'm Maryam Sadi and I am a clinical psychologist. I think one of the one of the things about the, the illness is that it interrupts your functioning. And I think that's it's at that point when you realize that, you know, there's actually something wrong. Because a lot of us actually experience depression. Sometimes we don't realize it. Um, some of us experience episodes of it, some of us experience it over a longer period of time, and some of us have chronic depression. Sure. But when it actually becomes, uh, when it becomes an illness as such, is that when it starts interrupting your functioning. So within your interpersonal life, within your social life, within your work life, in all of your domains really, it, it interrupts your functioning and that's when you know that, hang on, you know, I, I, I need to do something about this. And sometimes we don't even get to that point. Sometimes it's people around us that will say, I noticed this about you, I noticed that you're not the same or you're not... Um, keen to do activities that you used to do because that is one of the the core uh, symptoms of depression is that that intense sadness or low mood for a long period of time and also that you lose interest or you lose pleasure in things that you used to do before so that is something that you can also just you know be aware of in yourself is that when I start noticing that I'm not who I used to be or I'm not partaking in activities that I used to or I'm not enjoying things that I used to that should be a warning sign for you that you know something may not be right. And, you know, it's it's reflection is a large part of Islam for me. I feel like it's a large part of Islam because the Prophet reflected all the time. And only when you reflect on things can you really see that, you know, something's not something's right with me. We live in a society that is so fast-paced that we don't have the time to... Certain so think and notice that something's not right. If you look at how things are going today, things that are, are, are impacting the family system, you know, you, you have to do so much to just keep your kids safe, to keep your family safe, to keep them. Um, you know, in a, in a good balanced kind of lifestyle, it's very difficult. So there's a lot of things that can affect how we respond to, you know, things that happen in our lives. And depression is something that it, it could be triggered by a specific event in your life or a situation. Um, but for people who suffer from chronic depression, anything can really set it off. It's usually triggered, you know, by a stressor, by a particular stressor. But it's, you know, it, it's something that can just happen also at any time. So, like I said, people experience episodes of depression, some people will experience uh, you know, more than one, and some actually have uh, chronic depression, which will, we, any, at any time, they could go into, into a depression. It could be, I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like to say yes, but I th- they, could, they could definitely be. The pressure I spoke about earlier also, if you look at social media, um, there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, earn a certain way, you know, there's, or have a certain kind of lifestyle. And when you fall short of that, um, you know, you are not, you're not good enough and that can, that can affect your self-esteem, it can affect your feelings of worth. So there's a lot of pleasure that our parents and our grandparents perhaps did not experience, you know, and, and I think especially for our generation and, and, and our children's generation, the kind of things that they are exposed to and things that are expected from them and the kind of pleasure that there is out there to have a certain lifestyle, it can definitely have an effect on how you, you know, how you are. With depression, um, there's no one single cause. They are risk factors. So there are several factors that could make you vulnerable or predispose you to actually, um, you know, experiencing depression. Um, one of those is your um, chemical structures in your brain. So it could be, you know, biological. It could be that your structures in your brain or the chemicals responsible for managing your mood is not working right, um, and that's where medication comes in. And then there's also genetics. So if you have someone in your family who's who has depression or even in your immediate family who has depression, you could be at the risk for also developing depression. Then there's also your personality style. And this is something that we develop across our childhood. So there are other factors that could influence what kind of personality you develop. So people who typically are pessimistic, who have low self-esteem, you know, who generally um, interpret things in a negative way, they could be more vulnerable to um, developing depression. And then also your environment. So the kind of environment that you're exposed to, violence, you know, neglect, poverty, um, you know, all of those things can also impact whether you develop depression or not. So it's when, you, when someone presents with depression, there's no one treatment. You have a treatment plan and it's very individual specific. So it would depend on how that depression is presented in that specific person and you would go according to that. There are several symptoms. You don't have to have every one of them to have depression. So you have your, you know, your intense sadness. You have your low mood. You have your loss of interest or your loss of pleasure. You have your excessive tiredness, lack of concentration, maybe loss of appetite. Maybe you're eating too much, picking up too much weight or losing weight. You have insomnia or hypersomnia. You have your feelings of worthlessness. Your feelings of guilt. Um, hopelessness and then obviously suicidality as well either having thoughts about it or even actually having a plan to do something about it or attempts so you don't have to have all of those symptoms to you actually have depression. You mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: hypersomnia is when you sleep too you much mean, oh, okay. so either so you're, so you're so not sleeping yes so same with the weight it's either you're eating too much or you're eating too little picking up weight or not picking up weight or losing weight and then either you're not able to sleep or restless sleeping or you're sleeping excessively Right? And obviously excessive tiredness is also one of the symptoms um, and then physical complaints, you know, if you have stomach you know, stomach problems or anything physical that you're taking medication, but it's just not, you know, it's just not uh, um, easing up. So you can have any of those, you know, a certain number of those symptoms to have depression, which is why your treatment would be specific to what you present with. It's very important that you mention that you have to be open to the kind of treatment because um, like I said most people don't know they have depression and so they go presenting with physical complaints and they get referred by a GP which then takes them to a psychologist and if necessary to a psychiatrist as well. Um, but but for people who are more aware like yourself I think um, you know it takes a certain kind of awareness to be open to that kind of treatment because psychotherapy for example it's not like medication it doesn't work as fast you have to learn you have to learn things about yourself
0: something also that i that i often advocate is that find find that person that you can trust Mm, that you can share with and Mm. don't withhold and also if for example um your trust is betrayed by that person not to stop there or lose confidence or hope in that process yeah find somebody else yeah until you find the right person because what happens especially being in this depressive state, I've tried. Mm. and you basically give
1: up. Yeah, no, it it's sometimes helps if you have one person at least that you trust that you can say, listen, this is how I feel. Because even when we work with suicidality and we work on a safety plan, usually the first person will ask you somebody that you're close to, someone that you trust that you could call as a first point of call, you know, when you're in that state or when you're feeling that way. So it's, it, you know, that, that support plays a big role. And I think even in a the therapy process, we would ask, you know, who in your life can be part of your support structure. And we work a lot with the support structure. So that's actually very important. Any any mental illness, um, people sometimes it takes a while for them to actually get to the point of going to seek help. We we have what you call a pre-contemplation stage and and then a contemplation stage, you know, well, until you actually go and that's seek.
0: Why I'm actually speaking about Exactly.
1: Exactly. But and that's because I mean, <laughs> even in my own circles, there's still a lot of stigma. And so I, because yeah. I'm now in the field, I can you know I can say you know, but that's not actually it, because people have this idea that when you say you're a psychologist, that you treat malmensa and it's nothing like that. It's nothing will start like
0: that. Up when they sit with you they exactly.
1: You're oh yes. Or you can read their minds. I get. I get it all. <laughs> so it, it's really diff- difficult sometimes. But I think that. Um, with these kind of conversations and and i think with the shift that i've been seeing i've been you know especially on social media you can see there is definitely a shift people are talking more about it and i'm i'm really grateful for that for me i always believe that people like every person has a story right and so when i see people behave in a certain way or they say something i don't take it personally because for me it's there's, there's a story there and um and with however way we are there's a backstory you know a long backstory so i i did my community service at Paulsmoor and i i kind of enjoyed working with that population because they more than anything you see the actual backstory and they've got such rich stories and very sad also i you know it it made me feel at times that i was living in a completely different world seeing what they were exposed to going through there from childhood you know right on and what I was exposed to. So I felt that I was, I actually lived a very sheltered life if I listened to these stories. One story that, that, that um, one person that I worked with that- um, I
0: mean, These are the rejects, the outcasts of society. Yeah.
1: And, and when you work with them, you can actually see um, when, you know, I spoke about the environmental factors that can, in, uh, can influence or can predispose you to different kind of illnesses. I mean, there you can see that the kind of environments that they lived in, you know, it, it really impacted how they understand things, how they see things and how they, how they act, because we learn what we know from our parents. We learn how to be decent human beings from our parents. And when you- The legacy
0: of apartheid is still very much alive.
1: Very much. And when you, when you, when you grow up in an in a, in a environment where the family system is completely, you know, shattered, you actually see that impact. And there you can see the impact of a, of a broken family system. And for me, I think that's one of the most important lessons I took from there is that broken family system, how it can actually impact you know, on an individual. But I worked with one particular individual and um, he was Muslim. And um, we, we, he, he referred himself, so they can refer themselves or they can be referred by the social worker. And he referred himself that he is in a space where he, he really wants to make a change because his father walked out on them and he's got a child now and he doesn't want to repeat what his father did. But the more we spoke about, you know, his, you know, his current functioning, he realized that he was doing exactly the same thing, but in different ways. So his father physically walked out, but the things that he does takes him away from his family, takes him away from his child. And he didn't realize that, you know. And uh, we, we worked a lot and, and it was during Ramadan, at the beginning of Ramadan, he came to me and he said, um, don't I have any books for him? You know, like uh, Islamic kitabs or things like that. I said, sure, I'll, I'll bring some for you. He said to me, he really wants to try to fast this year. And I said well that's good you know Ramadan is a good time to actually make a start and if you have a sincere intention you know it can carry on after that and but it's a good place to start and if you're really serious about making a change in your life so I encourage him to use Ramadan as his starting point you know for his journey and you know throughout Ramadan I saw him regularly and after Ramadan he came to me and he said to me you know what I'm 33 years old this was the first year in my entire life that I fasted the whole month of Ramadan awesome. Subhanallah. I was so impressed I said I'm so proud of you yeah. So, you know, you, you you can't just discard people. You don't know what their story is. You don't know where they'll go and you don't know how much you can impact that person actually changing the course of his life. So there's a lot of stories like that of people that I work, worked with in the prison where, you know, you, you and you make them see things differently or you make them understand things differently and that's really what we as psychologists also do is that we create an environment and we facilitate your thinking about things a bit differently broadening your view, thinking you know about other perspectives on things that you maybe did something this way for your whole entire life and then we give you a different perspective about it so and that's what i did with them because they didn't have someone like that growing up who is like you know, did you think about that, that you, what you just did? What do you think about it? Or how do you think it will impact somebody? You know, asking those simple questions will just create so much, you know, in their minds. And so there's a lot of stories like that. And I, and I really enjoyed working there. Um, and I, I feel that they're lucky to have access to that service because they're inside of the prison. There's a lot of people outside that don't have access to mental health services. So they're in a really good space to actually use that, you know, to, to make those changes. And then once they leave to actually be different people.